You are listening to Making Contact. I'm Andrew Stelzer. Joining us now is author, analyst, and oil industry expert Antonia Yuhas. She's been following BP since even before the Deepwater Horizon spill, going back to her 2008 book, The Tyranny of Oil, The World's Most Powerful Industry and What We Must Do to Stop It. Antonia, welcome back to Making Contact. Thanks for having me. So we're speaking just about five years after the Gulf Coast BP spill. Um, paint a picture for us. How does it look down there environmentally and, and also in terms of the human and economic impact? Has the area recovered? Um, the area certainly hasn't recovered. It's hard to paint one picture, though, of the Gulf of Mexico. I think most people don't appreciate how big of an area we're talking about. Five states, the ninth largest body of water on the planet, um, an enormous, economically diverse and rich um, area, a hugely populated area of people and wildlife. And so there's sort of every impact that you can imagine. Um, there are areas of extreme economic devastation, extreme environmental de uh, devastation, um, places where the oyster, um, t the amount of oysters that come in from the dock is 75% less than it was before the oil spill. Communities of fisher folk that haven't recovered at all are just gone from the Gulf of Mexico. Um, er people in areas with extreme um, human health consequences. Um, and then there are areas that are, you know, recovering, that are economically recovered and, and people whose health has recovered. Um, you can go and see beautiful beaches. You can also go and see beaches with um, tar balls, with oil tar balls. Basically, you've got BP's oil um, uh, stuck in many places of the Gulf of Mexico. You've got a blanket of oil on the bottom of the ocean. You've got oil that's floating around in the sort of shallow waters, and some of it is these huge um, tar mats that get broken up by the waves and pieces of the tar mats come to shore, particularly during storm season. And during storm season, you often see huge mats that come to shore. Uh, most recently, just last month, 25,000 pounds of BP tar mats was being picked up off of beaches um, in Louisiana. That's sand mixed with oil. Um, so that's there, and the beautiful beaches are there. I mean, we're, we're probably, just like with the Exxon Valdez, for decades still be trying to pick up the pieces and understand the consequences. Um, and just like Exxon Valdez, they will be devastating for decades, but it doesn't mean that people shouldn't go to Alaska. It doesn't mean that people aren't still living in Alaska. Um, and it doesn't mean that people shouldn't appreciate the Gulf of Mexico. So I think that both, both the trauma and the ongoing trauma of the disaster are important to look at, and the reality that this is still a beautiful part of the United States are important to keep in mind. So in that partial recovery, um, how has BP done in terms of making things right, making people whole, cleaning up uh, the natural habitat, both through their own goodwill and, and also being forced to through uh, legal means and lawsuits? How has BP done? Um, so one very good thing that happened was that in the wake of the Valdez, there was a new piece of legislation passed. That's something that we haven't done basically at all, except for one piece of legislation um, since the Deepwater Horizon disaster. Something called the Oil Pollution Act was packed in, uh, passed in the, in the wake of the Valdez. And the Oil Pollution Act required for the first time that the polluter had to pay. And BP had a lot of requirements put on it that made it so that the company had to be in charge of cleanup, 
of stopping the um, blowout at the source of the disaster um, had to be ready to do lots of things. It wasn't ready to do most of those things, but it was required to do a lot of things it wouldn't have otherwise done. That said, BP has also fought every step of the way um, to, uh, it's fought the economic settlement that it agreed to all the way to the Supreme Court. Um, There is a a really historic change that happened, which was that BP was forced to agree to a human health benefits settlement, which said, which acknowledged that exposure to oil and exposure exposure to the dispersants does have human health consequences. Two hundred thousand people were eligible for that settlement, but BP has fought very aggressively against that settlement after signing it. So two hundred thousand people were eligible. Only ten thousand people have even put in. Um, an application. Of that, 148 have received payment, which is shocking. Um, And in addition, BP has certainly argued um, of the finding of scientists of ongoing environmental and human health and economic consequences of the spill. And fortunately, there are legal proceedings that should hold BP to account, one of which is the Natural Resources Damage Assessment, which is, again, something that we got out of the Oil Pollution Act, which is that there has to be an assessment taken of every impact on natural resources, what damage has happened, and what money is needed to make them whole. That assessment is still underway. And when that's over, BP is definitely going to be forced to pay many billions of dollars Also, because of the release of the largest offshore oil spill in world world history, um, what most people would argue is 5 million gallons of oil, um, BP has to pay a per barrel, well, BP has to pay a fine under the Clean Water Act for that amount of oil released. Um, In the legal proceedings that are underway right now in New Orleans, which have been going on for five years, the judge, uh, Judge Carl Barbier, first found that BP was grossly negligent in causing the blowout and that both Halliburton and Transocean, which are two of the largest energy services companies in the world, um, were both negligent. It found that BP was putting profit above all else, was trying to um, look out for time, look out for money, and was not adhering to the many other things that it is required to do under federal regulations, which is to protect its employees, the environment, to make sure that things don't blow up. Um, And it didn't do that. So that was a good finding. Um, But then most recently, the judge found that BP wasn't grossly negligent in everything that came after. Basically, that it wasn't grossly negligent in its inability to stop the blowout in in the way that it handled the oil spill and its lack of preparation or planning for either of those two two events, which is just a a terrible uh, finding from my perspective. Um, so that was a terrible finding. And what that did was it first made it that there's no opportunity for punitive damages. And it opens the way for the judge to have more leeway in his determination of actually how much BP's fine could be. The government was arguing for an $18 billion fine, and that is how it should be. That's a per barrel of oil spilled fine that amounts to 
the highest um, the highest rate that BP could be exposed to. Now that the judge has ruled that BP wasn't grossly negligent in all of the post blowout activities, that fine could go down immeasurably. Um, the The only amount of money that the judge is required to fine BP is $140,000 total, which is as low as it could go. And what about BP's uh, public image? They were suffering for a while there. Uh, we remember the the spill cam, the live cam of uh, oil spewing in, under the ocean. The company CEO stepped down. Since then, what have they done PR-wise to help build their image back up, and, and do you think it's worked? Um. BP has had a lot of commercials, uh, constant commercials on television saying that everything's great in the Gulf and showing pictures of um, sunny beaches and white beaches and healthy sea life and people frolicking. Um, Part of that was actually required of the company, which is that they were required to help with renewing tourism uh, in the Gulf states. But the majority of it was was PR. I don't think BP has succeeded in saving its image, but I do think do think that it has succeeded in convincing most of the public that everything's back to normal in the Gulf of Mexico, um, and that they did the best that they could, and that it's you know well past time to move on. But in terms of things like um, BP's share price, it still isn't back to where it was before the oil spill. Um, Its uh, dividends per share are still not back to where they were. Um, It's had a huge sell-off of its assets, about $38 billion um, already, and it has another $10 billion planned. So there's a lot of rumors that have been swirling that BP could be a takeover target. And that's actually, those rumors have been swirling for years, but now it looks way more likely because just this year in the most recent reportings, BP's profits completely collapsed um, as a result of reduced production and the collapse in the price of oil. And the rumors that have been swirling most recently are Exxon is a potential buyer of BP, which would just be tragic. Um, one of the reasons why BP is so large in the United States is because it entered the U.S. by buying Amico and Arco, which are both themselves post-breakup companies of Standard Oil, just like Exxon and Mobil are the two largest post-breakup pieces of Standard Oil, which are now Exxon Mobil. Um, you know, we're sort of just watching this slow, if and then if Exxon bought BP, um, this just slow reconjoining of the Standard Oil beast. Um, and that size brings with it enormous political power, which enables a company like BP to just keep getting contracts, keep um, finding new places to produce in spite of you know, the, the problems that it causes. And in the Gulf of Mexico, BP is back in the Gulf of Mexico. They never stopped. One of the very first new leases signed after the Deepwater Horizon disaster was for BP. Um, they have more rigs operating the Gulf now than they did before the disaster. And their size obviously allows them to influence regulators as well. Um, how how has the federal government and, and state of Louisiana done uh, in terms of holding BP accountable? And has there been any sort of changed approach 
to regulating uh, offshore drilling or other aspects of the oil industry, or, or is this just going to happen again? Yeah, there's been um, basically no change in, in regulations in the offshore drilling industry. Um, the good news is we have more regulators. Now, hopefully, what they will do is actually write some regulations that they can enforce that will stop this from happening. But I don't have a lot of faith with that. So deep water drilling is getting, um, it's always been very dangerous and risky, um, but they're just going further and further out. Where, you know, wherever there is oil is where they will go. And they're um, going hundreds of miles further out into the Gulf and thousands of feet deeper. And I am convinced that they don't, they're not any better prepared to deal with that offshore drilling as they are with a drilling that's closer into shore. And they're certainly not prepared for the enormous uncertainties related to that level of increased risk. And we haven't required regulations to hold them into check, and we're not giving regulators the tools to deal with it either. And that none of this is worth the risk, particularly when we're at a stage in history where we're being told very clearly, at a minimum, three-fourths of all fossil fuels need to stay in the ground if we're going to avert the worst of climate crisis. Given that knowledge, shouldn't we put the most just ridiculously risky forms of extracting oil off the table and while we're still dependent on it, stick to the stuff we actually know how to do? And what about uh, the press? How do you feel the media has done in, in following this over the last five years? Uh, you know, it was all over until the, the uh, well was capped. And then, you know, how, how do you think uh, the, the press has followed this? One of the problems with press coverage is that one of the best outlets doing the, gre the greatest coverage was the Times-Picayune newspaper in New Orleans which has been almost stripped out of existence, like a similar trend in obviously across the media. And there's a reason why we need local news. This is a really good example of it. The, an outlet on the ground every day that cares about this, this uh, disaster, that cares about the people, that cares about the environment, writing amazing work and they basically almost no longer exist. They're still doing some coverage, but they've shrunk from what they were. And that's a tragic loss. Um, and the national media attention, which was actually very good, and there was, you know, there was very good coverage from the New York Times, from you know, major outlets that were doing very good investigative work, was short-lived. And that has reinforced BP's very strongly desired approach to this problem, which is that it's long since over. And without that constant media scrutiny to say, maybe it isn't, and in fact it is not, you know, the public is, is, is given a, a, a disservice. Oil industry analyst Antonia Juhas is author of several books, including Black Tide, The Devastating Impact of the Gulf Oil Spill, and The Tyranny of Oil, the World's Most Powerful Industry, and What We Must Do to Stop It. She also has an article coming out in Harper's Magazine soon based on her time in a submarine under the Gulf of Mexico last year. 
uh, to check up on the effects of the Deepwater Horizon spill. We'll link to her website, AntoniaYuhas.net, at our website, radioproject.org. Thanks so much for spending the time to speak with us. Thanks for having me.